0: Independent wrestling is pretty damn fucking cool.
1: We're sitting down in the spotlight and squirt circle with Ryan on. and We're trying to bring more awareness to the independent professional wrestling scene. Undoubtedly thankful for anybody that
2: just decided to tune in and actually liked us enough to keep listening.
1: Episode 2, everybody, the Ross Family Matters Podcast. Aha! Yes. Hotshot Scott Williams, Victor Stick, Jack Spade, Prodigy. That hat is still chock full of ideas.
0: It is. There are many, many, many ideas, and more ideas being added as we speak, as Lane is writing down more things.
1: We could. We'll, we'll have enough content for like eight years.
3: I just want to uh, correct you. There was a mistake in your your opening. It's actually the Ross Family Podcast with prodigy oh okay all right with not not featuring
0: not special guests okay with it was my goal to not curse during this podcast because i said the f word like every other word on the last one but i will tell you that guy's a real pos
1: okay let me just say though maybe you were getting like i think i put it out there on our group post Remember in Melrose plays Heather Locklear was at the end of the credits, but she was really the star of the show. Oh yeah. yeah right. So maybe that was maybe that was it. That's you're, probably what it is. You're our Heather Locklear. I uh I
0: dropped one and I Oh, can't, Mr. Bum knee can't pick up I at can't all. Oh. Pick it up. Can you? you
3: know, I got to feel it. It's not because of your knee, but your incredibly short arms.
1: <laughs> can you, will that end up being our first? Can, that's going to be our that's first That's our first one, the right. one that just popped yeah, out. Why Absolutely. not? All
2: right. Are you going to read it? I will.
1: Are you going to try to read my handwriting?
3: I will. All right. Here we go. Uh oh. It's folded incredibly well. Oh my. It's welcome. such or, a secret. Oh, it got me. Ring announcing. Announcing. the new nuance, nuances as opposed to new ounces which we'll get into a little bit later myself personally with uh, Scott because he's our official ring announcing guy
1: yeah yeah you know I guess I can say this I think nobody will disagree I, I, I think generally a better ring announcer than wrestler. If you look at the body of my work.
3: I don't want you to take offense to that, but absolutely a better ring announcer. And that's not taking anything away from your in-ring.
1: You know, let me tell you what's important about ring announcing first before I put myself over. Um, The best ring announcers and the best referees are the ones you don't notice. And what I mean by that, much like an umpire in baseball, right? A good ring announcer keeps you engaged in the show... You get You listen to the sponsor announcements, you go to the gimmick table and buy merch, and you generally watch the workers do their job. A bad ring announcer, you go, "What the hell is he talking about? Why is he trying to make the show about him? why can 't he get people 's names right like so if you 're doing the right, your, your job the right way you 're really not noticed uh, so
2: who's who was the ring announcer that you remember seeing that was the best ring
1: announcer that you kind of Got, took a lot of, uh, you know... Um, you know, I think um, I liked the way Howard Finkel announced. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the behind-the-curtain ECW guy, whose name I don't even remember at this time. Um, Gary Michael Capetta is an interesting ring announcer. Let's talk about Gary Michael Capetta.
3: I, I would love to. One of my personal favorites. Me too. Um, Jim, how do you feel about Gary Michael
0: Capetta? i uh, never felt more about him before. What about Mike McGurk? <laughs> Mike McGurk was a lady. Yes, she was. Yep. Yeah.
1: Before, before lady ring announcing was cool, there was Mike McGurk. Yep, yep. Now it she seems was the be... uh,
3: daughter of a former Territory guy, Leroy
1: McGurk. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so who... Alright. Have you been on a show where you've noticed the ring announcer because he or she was awful? We booked that yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So
1: the very,
2: very, very first show that we ever booked um, in Stevens Point, and I You guys were probably all on it. You, I assume you were on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we were woefully mistaken of the importance of ring announcing so we grabbed a guy from where we worked at the time for our legit job myself and prodigy um and you know he was like a stage actor in his free time he was oh, part of boy. like a troop and we basically said hey it's not that hard you know take their names take their weights um you say this you know this following contest is scheduled for one fall with a 30-minute time limit coming to the ring
0: at this time. Blah. Right. And it was just... I'll tell you, his name was Josh. Yeah, Josh. Okay. And I thought Josh did a great job. Mm. Where I think he went wrong (laughs) is more so what we did and not what he did. Sure. We were using Dan Lenz's setup from SSW, and Dan Lenz loved the lights, he loved the smoke, he loved everything, right? So we were killing the lights in... The, the room, and he's sitting here with cards. He's never seen these guys before, so he doesn't have their names memorized. He's trying to read in the dark, and the next person is... Uh, I can't tell. That was rough, and that was on us.
1: What about Kenny Newman as a ring announcer? Who? The old DJ from 102.1 who had the distinct privilege of ring announcing some Rebel shows. I have no idea who you're talking about. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on from that one. What about Rico? Are you a fan uh, of Rico? The person? With the ring announcer? The ring announcer? The person's awesome. I think he does a good job when he
3: actually gets to the ring announcing. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of... Hey, it's not my rule this week. There's a lot of fucking around before we get there. <laughs> <laughs> were you... Were you uh, he's coming out to a Kiss song.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's got his own music. Uh, I I don't like that.
3: If you're not a wrestler, you don't need a song. No. No.
0: True. But great guy.
3: Great guy. Good announcer. Good voice. A little too much shine on him as opposed to where else it should be.
0: Yeah, you know what else you shouldn't
2: have? A gimmick. Yeah. I don't think that Ring Announcer should have a song. But I kind of miss the old days when there would be the point before the show, before the show started, where they would announce the officials for the show and the people, the announcers, and oh, kind of sure. like give the, you know, the feel that it's an actual company you're watching and not
1: just the wrestlers coming out in front of people. I'm going to give an idea away to any budding young ring announcer there who wants to run with this. All wrestlers, for the most part, maybe a lot of wrestlers. Sell gimmicks. They make their own shirts. They make their own hats, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a referee that sells gimmicks up north. So I think a ring announcer should sell his own shirts. Hear me out. They're old dress shirts <laughs> <laughs> that have already been used. You just go down to Goodwill and uh, buy them <laughs> and sell your yeah. ring announcer. Ring
3: worn <laughs> ring announcing shirts. What do you think? <laughs> Ten dollars. See, it's money.
2: All right. Scott, that's kind of your subject. Is there anything
1: else you want to let anybody else know about ring announcing? No, I what think, really I, I think. let me just, again, reiterate, not everybody can do it. And um, the number one rule is be confident in what you're saying. Because even when you make a mistake, just like radio, when you make a mistake, don't acknowledge it. Cool. There's, there's my advice.
2: All right. So we're going to go into a little bit of a subject that's uh, going to be a lot of you guys talking here. Oh Uh-oh. Because we're talking about Rebels of Wrestling. Oh. So oh, wow. why, don't you, uh, why don't you get us started a little bit? Start about you know, why you guys started Rebels of Wrestling and, and what that looked like with the brawl. Um, and kind of go over okay, the so beginning there.
1: Okay, so I'll go from the beginning, beginning of even before the brawl. We were, um, I worked at Time Warner Cable out in Greenfield and they had a cable access studio next door. And, um, I was trying to get a cable access sports talk show produced, and I did and uh while I was there one day filling out some paperwork, I saw a bunch of older teenage kids seventeen eighteen nineteen year old kids degenerates, yeah, setting up uh you know some risers, and they were doing some wrestling show and I met a guy named Mark Zavolinsky, who ended up helping me produce my um sports talk show and some other things and what's going on? He goes, oh, these are my friends from Franklin High School. They have a wrestling show called Wrestling for Donuts. Okay. I'm like, all right, well, where's the ring? I'd There's, like that show. There is no ring. There is, we just simulate that there'd be a ring. I'm like, all right, he goes, do you want to stick around and watch? I'm like, sure, why not? So, watched it. The next show I was doing commentating, heel commentating for it. I, I didn't like it. I thought it, it sucked because there was no contact. They weren't, They were missing each other by ten feet on some of these moves, and I I tried to get some influence. Say, "Hey, look! I know that this isn't a real wrestling show, but you gotta lay it in." I wasn't trained; I didn't know. No, Scotty,
0: uh, trained or not, were you already wrestling at this point? No. Okay.
1: No, 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 no. I had, I had no ins in wrestling other than being a fan, you know. But I knew what, as a fan, I wouldn't watch people miss by, you know, five feet. Right. So I'm like, you guys got to, like, kind of lay it in a little bit. Like, it's got to look, you know. Well, they didn't listen, they didn't listen, they didn't listen. I ended up meeting a guy named Brian Farr. Chaos. How did you guys meet? They had a show, a cable access show called Laugh Your Head Off. They did sketch comedy out of the same cable access studio. Okay. So we, again, Mark Zawalinski, kind of the guy who brought us all together because he was a... You know, senior in high school at the time, but he was interning at the cable access station, learning production and producing, directing, that sort of thing. So he connected us together. He's like, you got to meet these guys, they're pretty funny. And we met, and I started talking to them about, you know, what we had in common. And Some of them liked sports, some of them didn't, but all of us liked wrestling. It was just our thing, the five of us bonded because we were fans of wrestling. And I said, well, if you guys like wrestling, you have to see this abortion that's going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> um, so Mark Zawalinski, who was producing the Wrestling for Donuts show, decided to integrate Brian, Mark Munt, Dean, um, and all the other gang into it. And we created our own characters. And we almost did a hostile, almost like a hostile takeover. Oh, yes. of, uh, I, but not like we were around the angle. We just started putting matches on inside their show. And guys like Brian were stiff as, as all hell with these kids. And they ran them all off. And next thing you knew, Mark's like, I don't have anybody else to wrestle. We brought in more people and we turned it into the brawl.
0: Yeah, that never changed, by the way, Brian being really stiff. Oh, yeah, no, that never changed. He's not stiff. He can't see. (laughs) Now
1: we move on to the brawl. And I'll tell you what was good about the brawl. The wrestling was mostly not good. I mean, we didn't have a ring. We weren't trained at the time. But I was proud of the angles we wrote. Like, we wrote the show. Like, somehow we knew how to sell. Somehow we knew... You know, where Shine, even though we didn't know it was called the Shine at the time, was supposed to go. And where the Heat, even though we didn't know it was called the Heat. Mm-hmm. So we started putting stuff on and, you know, getting a little bit better, but not still just not trained. And I get a call on our hotline from a gentleman named uh, L. Patterson. And, uh,
2: can, uh, can <laughs> you, what was the hotline?
3: Can you break? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the hotline was 297-9709. If we could get a couple calls to that number, that would be just... I have no idea what that would go to now, but it used to go to the, uh, the Brawl hotline. But just for a
2: 414? point of...
3: Because I can just dial it in real quick. It was a 414.
2: Point of reference, if you could just give me a quick Al Patterson speech.
1: Uh, you got to organize your peoples. All right. Now, Al Patterson, for those who don't know, was a promoter in the Midwest area. King Kong Patterson was his name. He was older, retired when he called the hotline. He then had his stooge named Dave Starr give us a call and said, You guys are embarrassing the sport of wrestling. I called him back, and I said, all right, let's hear what you have to say. I get invited over to this dude's house. What did he say? Well, there wasn't Al Patterson yet. This oh. was, we went over to Dave Starr's house, and I told him exactly where we you know We had already done, like, 100, 115 episodes of The Brawl. An hour? 45 minutes. 45, jeez. So, over the course of, like, three years, but we were, like, religiously putting on a new show every week. I said, look, I understand we're not good, but nobody's going to give us a chance, and we don't, you know, have the, the ends to go to a wrestling school. So Al Patterson and a couple of people who were in the business uh, that were friends of us helped get Brian and Steve and myself trained. Sure. And uh, we started running shows uh, in ring. Al sold us a ring, an old AWA ring that still said Minneapolis Wrestling Club on it. The heaviest, and you can attest Stiffest to this. Stiffest ring. Oh Stiff. God. Stiffest ring in the world. Stiff, heavy. Those The corner poles probably weighed, what would you say, 300 pounds? Pro- at least. Yeah.
0: And um, the only thing that saved you in that ring was Armani's blanket. It was right underneath. Right Armani's blanket did help Armani's woobie was nice. Yeah, he kept the woobie right underneath the canvas.
1: Now, Armani comes up in this story very, very, uh, very integral in helping us become somewhat legit. Right? I would have to say so, yeah. Because here we are, a bunch of guys who are either in the early stages of training, somewhat trained, and some maybe not trained much at all. Okay, mixed in with a few guys who were working for Powerhouse at the time. Maybe, maybe they were at Powerhouse, maybe they were still Badger State. I, it was right around the time when it was the same company, just changed names. So we're talking like 98, 99. 98, 97, 98. Okay, so some of those guys were looking for work so we were bringing them in but it wasn't until angel armani driving on his bike sees me standing somewhere goes hey when am i gonna get to wrestle for donuts (laughs) (laughs) and i said first of all we don't call it that anymore secondly we actually purchased the ring goes yeah where'd you get a ring from back of a comic book and i said we actually got a ring from al patterson he goes oh i know al patterson i don't know why but i just pictured armani coming up on like a huffy like you know backpack on backwards it it could have been it was a bike. it was clearly it wasn't a 10 speed maybe it was a mountain bike but it was a bike he was a
3: why was armani fresh off his his audition to be in the goonies
1: (laughs) what the fuck was that the one thing, one of the things we had, and this is where Armani it kind of came in. We, even though we weren't the best at what we did, we had a center, a training center where a ring was up seven days a week. It was open for people to come in and work out and try to get better. Armani decides to check it out, bring some of his students, and it was when he started bringing students in to mix in with us while we were still trying to get better at what we were doing, that we actually started putting on wrestling shows that looked more like indie wrestling because everybody had gear everybody was trained enough to be passable now were all the matches five-star matches no but there was very there was less suck on those shows as we as we got further into it and started playing bigger halls we went from the hall on 35th and lincoln to texas victory hall and on a snowy snowy night drew 380 people in a blizzard yeah like, things were going well for us um there were problems with the building um so we couldn't run there anymore. They had some repairs. It's back up and running now. We moved over to a place on 13th and Lincoln that used to be Federation Hall, where I used to go watch wrestling as a kid and watch guys that were jobbers in the AWA win titles at that little building. I watched the security guard from my high school wrestle as Indian Pete. Oh, so, cigar uh, Cigar
3: Store Indian. Yeah. He was up all night thinking of that name. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so can, can I ask you what? Obviously, you and I started in different eras. So, when Rebels first started, was the Milwaukee still very competitive? Were you guys dealing with a lot of backlash about legitimacy? We were,
1: and, we were a, and some of it was warranted. You know, I mean, some of it was, you know, us fi- trying to find our way. Part of the problem, too, is, you know, we, we were backdooring our way in. We were getting trained by a legitimate pro wrestler in Al Patterson, but we weren't paying for it, Okay. It's a recurring theme on the show it's a big no-no right right um but i think I, we talked about this in show one one of my inspirations for wanting to run a wrestling show after i got into wrestling from like i wasn't to you know to start as part of wrestling for donuts and wrestle in a in a studio with no ring but it was after that and then seeing you know mid-american wrestling and carmine do just great shows right and, and and the compliment was we never thought we could be as good, but we're like if we ever were as good as him, man, we were we'd be successful, right? Absolutely. So, you know, we tried to pattern our shows from a booking standpoint. Again, I think where we were really good is with the booking of angles. Um, from a booking, although you'll disagree with the way I booked you in Whitewater, but we could talk <laughs> about that some other time. No, we're going to talk about that today. No, <laughs> <So,
2: laughs> we're going to have stuff
1: out. But from a, from a bookie angle and, and trying to tell stories and not hot shot angles because that was still in a time it was right when Nitro and Raw were starting to take off and you know but the, and they were starting to shorten the length of feuds because they were on every week and we tried to do a little bit more territory stuff as far as how long feuds lasted and good blow-offs and stuff like that but um, I think we we got better we got to a point where we were good but to your question was it competitive Well, Mid American was there. And then there were some federations, and again, it's not because I disrespect anybody. I just don't remember all the finite details at my with all the shots to the head I've taken. But there were some that popped up, and they'd be there and then be gone. Um, but Carmine was a constant. Later, you know, when BCW started running, they were a constant. I think we were gone by the time they started running.
2: Uh, you guys would have overlapped
1: for probably
2: two shows. Okay. So,
1: so um so and, and they're great i mean they've been successful they've been around 13 years but there are some that would pop up they'd run four or five shows disappear never to be heard from again There are some that lasted a little bit longer but i, I don't i feel it got more competitive towards the end of the rebels run when there were probably like at least eight to ten federations running in a three county area and do you remember that time a little bit well
2: so your uh, vic your experience yeah with Rebels would have been different because you would have been watching it on TV before you called Yeah. The, so what's the uh, experience, we were the bra when you were watching
3: what's the right. experience of watching it on TV for you like? well the first thing I saw was these guys taking bumps on risers and I was like nope <laughs> <laughs> there, was no, there was no
1: giving those risers
3: I'm just going to tell you I laughed I openly laughed uh, they had ladders uh, not like straight up and down ladders stage ladders, ladders. <laughs> Thank, and those were your turnbuckles. So I would sit and I would laugh at this. And then <coughs> I put it on one week and they were at the Kosciuszko uh, Community Center off of 7th and Lincoln there. In a boxing ring. And there was a ring. And I thought, oh. That's uh, softer. That, that would be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I called the hotline. And by the way, we, uh, we've entered the phone number for the hotline in the, uh, the Prodigy's phone. We're gonna give her hell right now and see what this goes to.
0: Man, I can't wait. Oh man, I'm nervous. Oh, it's raining.
1: Uh-oh. The number you have Uh-oh. reached has been
0: disconnected. It's been disconnected no for 15 years! <laughs> Come on! It so, was worth a try.
3: So anyway, I called the number about anywhere from 20 to a hundo times. Don't say that. <laughs> before finally, uh, I got a call back from Chaos who best I could tell from the phone call was not only a professional wrestler but also a professional asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was agreed that I'd go up and I would uh I'd come up to the community center on a Saturday morning. So,
2: so hold on. Hold on, you don't just gloss over being a professional asshole. I, what did this phone call sound
3: like? You've met Brian. Yeah,
2: I just I want to know because you had not met Brian. Maybe people that
0: are listening have so, not
3: met Brian. So he returns the call, and I say hello, and he's like, "You call about wrestling?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, he was our I, front of the house guy. He was <laughs>
0: very, very
1: warm.
3: <laughs> I I saw that you guys are on TV, and I'm interested. Yeah, we do uh, we do stuff on Saturdays at the community center. Be there at eight, and then he hung
1: up. <laughs> professional asshole. <laughs> Why did I put him in charge of reaching out to the public? Cuz he's the best PR. Best in the business. Okay.
3: So anyway, I go up there on that Saturday morning and there's man there had to have been 20 guys And a couple of girls, too, for that matter. Yeah,
1: including one guy who'd later get trained at the power plant. Wink, wink. He did not. I know he didn't. Uh, (laughs) He's probably in that hat, so we'll wait.
3: (laughs) uh, (laughs) We we got shown a few things, and I was cool with it. I decided, yeah, I'm going to come back. And then from there, uh, I stuck myself right in the mix there. I was ready to go. I was hooked.
0: Yeah, they can't see you raise your hand on the, uh... I just, I feel like there is an important story that we may have skipped. No, here we are. Here we are again for those of you...
3: I feel like... uh, For those of you who listened
0: to episode one,
3: Jim went out of his way to make sure everybody knew that I was a big Mark who wanted to be a Dudley boy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's that time of the episode where Jim makes it known that I had another embarrassing
0: thing in camp. So go ahead, Jim with your illustrious well, setup. No, I wasn't actually there for this. Right. Yeah. All I have are my memories of you telling the story and let me tell you it acts out gloriously in my head. Okay. So, why don't you go ahead and recap the story for everybody? Just let yep. so we know exactly how this went down, you know? Yep. Just Okay. Own
3: it. Own so it. uh
0: you know, keep, keep going.
3: You know, then don't hold your fucking finger no, 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 up. No, just keep going. <laughs> tell okay. the story. Until I tell you not to tell the story. So, as a young man in his early 20s, I like to drink a little beer a lot of the time. So I went out on a Friday night to a local bar called Matt's Bar, just around the corner from my house, where I
0: used to actually drink with, Car- with Carmine. Yeah. Interesting. You said Saturdays at 8. I did not. Saturday mornings at 8 was when wrestling was. Oh, Yeah. Right, that's when,
3: yeah. yeah, Saturday morning at 8 was when
0: I needed to be there. So
3: I, uh, I may have shut the bar down that evening. And uh, the next morning I woke up still drunk. Mm-hmm. I walked from my house on 9th of Manitoba up to 7th of Lincoln. Well, it's quite a walk. To find out that training was going to consist of running the ropes for a full minute cross with another individual and then at the end of that minute mercifully someone would yell bump and you would take your bump and you would roll out of the ring and you would be finished okay the walk sobered me up a little bit uh got in the ring i ran as best as i could as a fat man for a full minute we never touched each other, so we didn't have to start over. All right. Brian yelled, bump. I bumped. And shat my pants. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> wow. I go. I leave camp and I go into the bathroom and I clean myself up and I throw my underwear away and I walked up to Brian and I said, "I don't feel good. I gotta go
0: home." <laughs> and then I did. Now it's good to know that in the the circle of four of us, you are the only person who has ever shit their pants. Now, oh,
2: no, no, that's like it there. That's absolutely true. That's uh. So <laughs> so, let's, so let's go back and let's talk a little bit. So, around this time.
3: Jack Spade shows pants against Matt Longtime.
2: We'll get there. Wait, don't give away the fucking finish, alright? Spoiler alert. This is episodes. Episodes in the future. You'll hear the Jack Spade shit on Matt Longtime Space story. It'll be pretty good. It, and it's also Vic Ross's fault. Um, in the face! In the face. Uh, <laughs> um, so, we're talking 97, 98, 99, 2000. So yeah. We're talking like prime, prime time here. This is like, this is way, way, way different of a time to get involved with wrestling than when myself and Prodigy got involved. No, wrestling was huge. Wrestling was
1: red hot. Yeah, um, every,
3: every schmuck was looking you know, to get
1: in. You know, I I think it's funny, and I I don't want to get off topic. I just think it's funny how Raw and Nitro were pulling in like sixes combined. You know, that's twelve combined, and now Raw can't draw three. Like mm-hmm. you wonder where everybody went, but uh, it, at the time. Everybody wanted to be in wrestling, everybody wanted to come to wrestling shows, bad shows, okay shows, like ours, great shows, like people just wanted to watch wrestling, you know. And, um, it, the, but the other thing that was starting to change, and I don't want to give things away because it might be in a hat about how ECW ruined pro wrestling, but I think <laughs> wrestling fans also kind of started to change during that time, so we can talk about that at some other time. So. Um, other thing, real quick about rebels. Though, some of the some of the things to understand is we had some great luminaries that are still wrestling today. Uh, Xavier Mustafa, TC, Angel Armani, uh, Ryan Rowe, Jared uh, uh, Mace Morgan. Um, that came through uh, for a couple matches early in his training because he needed some ring work uh, dysfunction. Frank brought him to a couple shows. Armani,
3: Silas Young. Silas Young
1: worked on some shows. So
3: Jesse still working. Yeah, Winchester.
1: Matt Winchester, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Halo. Um, Shut your fucking head. <laughs> well, like, he did. <laughs> no, like every hole on your head until um, it's over. <laughs> Tommy Courageous.
3: Yep, yep. Him Adrian
1: Serrano yep. worked a couple shows for us. Um, again, it was it, it was nice to have guys come in, though, that had some legitimacy, even if they were just passing through to get some ring work, because that only helped when you could say, yeah, look, I had so-and-so on this show. I had this guy on the show. There was some Now, real quick, I want your opinion on this because you were there through the whole run. Okay. A guy who wrestled, you know, other guys too that were great. Kingpin was great, some of the other guys. But I, somebody who wrestled for Rebels that you thought should have gone further on the indie scene or even bigger than they did. Because some of those we mentioned, obviously, two of them wrestled in Ring of Honor, right? Right. But there had to be some in your mind that you thought were going to do bigger things that never did.
3: Well, chaos is the big one that sticks out right to me. I mean, honestly, he he had the body type of Bam Bam Bigelow and a very similar style in the ring. Maybe even a little more agile. Yeah, I think so. A uh, second choice to me is Mace Morgan. Yeah. Mace Morgan was a hell of a worker, yeah. and that hip cut him down early. He started to get he started to get the
2: traction,
1: but it was right right at the end. Oh, and a good, great guy too, man. Yeah, like just
3: fantastic.
1: Um, I'll tell you one that I, I, I had higher hopes for, and maybe you'll remember this kid or not, and he had some other things that he was dealing with. Um, Adam Evans.
3: Yeah, I remember Adam Evans.
1: I, I really thought I, he was one of the guys that I thought if we would have kept doing shows and been around we would have tried to build around and it would have probably been a bad idea because he had some things get away from him, but um, I thought he could have done some things. He was a guy that was That worked a lot, trained a lot with Angel Armani and... I just thought that that would have been something that turned into something bigger.
3: Hey, everybody, this is RGG from the Regular Guy Gaming Podcast on the Grapple Talk Network. I think it's safe to say if you like wrestling, you also like games. So join me and my co-host, Ragbag, as we talk about old games, new games, games we love, games we hate, special guest interviews, and, of course, Ragbag's love for Luigi Mansion. That is all. On regular guy
2: gaming check us out
1: hey guys this is ac riley reminding you to check out the riley factor only on the grapple talk network join me as i talk wrestling interview wrestlers in my spotlight and squared circle segment and much much more
2: what are you waiting for head on over to itunes and subscribe
1: to the grapple talk network today and as always support independent wrestling
2: this is Chris from Spot Monkey Media. Are you a professional wrestler, a promoter, a
0: business owner? Spot Monkey Media is graphic design for the wrestling professional. We offer design services for t-shirts, event posters, 8x10s, logos, and even ring gear. But if you're not in the wrestling business, we work outside the ropes. Go
2: to spotmonkeymedia.com for more information. Spot Monkey Media. Create your legacy. Yes, yeah, so I'll take my eggs over easy, and I'll take my podcast, Deach and Dash, That's right. The Deach and Dash podcast hosted by me, gorgeous Jordy Lee, available via the Grapple Talk Network. It's about to get weird. We're going to talk some wrestling, maybe, some life, probably, and I'm definitely going to ask whether you prefer ketchup or mustard. Catch us via the Grapple Talk Network and wherever iPods are available to you. iPods or podcasts? God, I'm the worst.
1: So, Jesse, apparently we have to make a promo for our podcast, but I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to say. Oh,
2: come on, Nick. We just
1: got to talk about Grapple Talk, where we talk about wrestling. It doesn't matter if it's the national stuff or the local stuff. That's true. I mean, regardless if it's WWE or our Spotlight in the Squared Circle segment where we highlight local talent, we cover it all.
0: Oh, we also got to plug the social media. That's
1: right. Facebook.com slash the Grapple Talk, and you can follow us on Twitter at the Grapple Talk.
0: Man, that was a really good promo.
1: That was. High five. Yeah.
0: Hello wrestling fans, Cole Cabana coming to you live from the One Hour tease Arena, beautiful Chicago, Illinois. The pro wrestling action has been great
1: so far. As you can see, Joey really dominating the ring so far. There's a beautiful belly to back suplexing. Uh-oh. Looks like Joey's shirt has been ripped. What's up with that? You ripped my shirt. Let's go check an instant replay, see exactly what happened there. You can see Joey's shirt ripped from the collar, and that's not good when you're trying to wear your pro wrestling
0: t-shirt.
1: Man, you ripped my shirt. It's my only shirt. Joey. Hey, it looks like Ryan from One Hour Tees just threw Joey Ryan a brand new t-shirt. Thanks,
0: pro wrestling tees. ProWrestlingTees.com, over 3,000 wrestling t-shirts designed and sold by pro wrestlers. Wrestlers such as Steve Austin, CM Punk, Macho Man, Nick Foley, DDP, Andre the Giant,
1: Jake the Snake, Hexaw, Jim Duggan, Scott Hall, Teddy, DiBiase, Colt Cabana, Joey Ryan, Cliff Compton, and the entire Bullet Club. All stores owned by pro wrestlers. Support pro wrestling today and visit ProWrestlingTees.com.
3: And before we go to another topic, who is the biggest pain in your ass, ego-wise?
1: Oh, boy. Oh, God. Um... Well, okay, so that's kind of a loaded question. It, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because, first of all, the guy, well, the guy I hated more than anybody was Ed Riley. I know. Hated him. <laughs> Go uh, on. Why? Oh, God.
3: Well, oh, there's video just... evidence. Got beat the hell out of that
1: kid <laughs> one oh, <yeah. laughs> um, Not a big fan. Um, boy, ego. Jeez. I mean, there was a You've got to remember, you're dealing with wrestlers. Okay. Okay, so before you have to lay a
3: name down... Everybody in the business has an ego yes. to an extent. Alright, okay. let's cut this cutesy bullshit, okay? Oh, hang on a second, hang on a second. <laughs> it's it's a known fact between you and me that you hated show dates because there'd um, be a fucking parade of guys coming up to you uh, trying to get something changed.
1: Change the face. Who was the guy the you saw almost every show telling you this doesn't work for me? Uh, boy, I'm trying to remember specifically. I mean, Nick Fury was a pain, um... Steve was easy. Jeez, he was easy. He just didn't really care if we had music or not. Um, Mark, Marcus Mussolini was a pain. Yeah. Um, because he, first of all, I think I'll get back. I think he thought this was a shoot. Like we'd have a we'd have something booked. My like, yeah, guy, you know, you're gonna you know you're gonna lose. Moves. Man, I can beat him. I say, yeah, I know you can beat him in real life, but that's not what we need to do here. You know, we need to we need to have you go over. Who am I? What am I missing here? Because I know when you tell me, it's going to all come back to me. You can give
3: me no, no, I, I, I don't have a, a misconception in my head. I just
1: want you to. I, you know, I think there, there are a couple <coughs> other things. Like we referenced Casey Styles, right? Oh, Casey yeah. Styles was a little different, not because he had an ego. He actually was straight up sad because he thought I didn't like him. And here's so you know how wrestling works, right? Carloads of people will come up. So we had we were booking a group of people from up north, from Green Bay. Chad, uh, Chad Ru, who was Chaz Kildare, uh, Romeo Valentino, Casey Styles, and uh, Peter B. Beautiful. Yep. And they all came down together because they came down, you know, in a carload. And Casey Styles was a decent enough cruiserweight worker, but he was he was just that. I mean, would what, what, you go 140 pounds? Yeah, he was a he was lanky. Yeah. So we had a bunch of guys in um uh we had a, lot, a bunch of guys in the uh uh main or, bigger events, mid card events, and he wasn't because he was a cruiserweight and he would actually go to people on a show and be like I you know, in tears almost about how I didn't like him and he felt sad about it somehow, which I thought was kind of a weird weird story.
0: I feel the need to point out as people are talking about all these old workers that Jack Spade and I also, at one point, worked for Rebels of Wrestling. Three okay. Shows. And if we're going to talk about people that should have went somewhere... It's us. It's definitely us.
2: So, I'm going to bring this up. Mm-hmm. Because there's a spot mm-hmm. that when we were running Shows as Fusion... Mm-hmm. That Chaos tried to get us to do every single show in some way or form. And I think that we did it once for him. And I want to know how, how much this came from Rebels... And the spot is in a battle royal, uh-huh. all right? One guy
1: ends up on the mat. Everybody else piles on top of him. Yes, yes, yes. So that is uh, affectionately known as, to me, we we call it the the, the pile-up Okay. However, somebody on one of our shows decided to call it an inappropriate name <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not have started with... Um, the letter n (laughs) and i will tell you this we were you know now we have other feds out there like legacy we were one of the at the time and and this is true Vic. we're one of the few companies in the southeast wisconsin that was using a pretty diverse locker room absolutely you know we had a lot of uh you know people of different colors and backgrounds and it was kind of a nice cool melting pot which made it even worse that that word was used yeah, on that yeah. show because it kind of uh, ruffled a few feathers.
3: So it was in New Berlin, and I happened to be in the locker room at the time. Myself, Chaos, uh, Marcus Mussolini, and the offender, Yeah, who I'm not going to drop his name. Because I don't want you to go find him on Facebook and shit on his life.
1: Yeah, he's a good singer. He's a...
3: Well... (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Brian says to us, as we're in his close proximity, Hey, we're going to do the pile. The pile Scott. In the Battle Royal. And the offender, as Scott pointed out, said, Oh, you mean the blank pile. (laughs) At which point Marcus Mussolini turned to me and said, what the hell did he just say?
1: (laughs) Marcus Mussolini, who is
3: black? I put my arm around Mussolini and I said, let's talk for a minute, Otis. And I took him away from the situation. And I calmly explained to Otis that, well, yes, he could beat the shit out of this individual in the locker room, on the spot, and be justified by doing so, I reminded him that they were working each other in just a couple of matches.
1: Yeah, singles match. In a singles
3: match. At which point, he smiled at me, and I knew he understood. So, I went and watched at the curtain, excitedly. While this match went, and for like the first four or five minutes, nothing happened. Right. And then there was an Irish whip into the corner. And as the offender ran in and jumped in the air for a stinger splash, he was promptly speared and dumped on the back of his head. (laughs) At which point, he was pummeled unmercifully for two minutes.
0: Oh, there you go. That's locker room justice, right? About the head and neck area, yes. So, so, who took a bigger beating?
1: Him, the offender? Yes. Uh, or uh, Peter B. Beautiful from Skullcrush? Which, by the way, is on YouTube. That, that match, on that
2: match YouTube? is yes. on YouTube? That match is on YouTube. You can find it. And oh. it is 11 minutes of some of the most brutal, brutal beating. And who is this the against? Skullcrusher against
3: Peter B. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, okay. A yeah. lot of... Uh, what? It, it
2: was a, a rebel
1: it was, show but but was It white But it was... We were <clears> running <throat> under the TPW banner because we had to stay true to Kenosha.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm so, definitely looking that it up. It was there. at Kenosha Ruther so, High School. A lot of kicks in the faces. Oh, yeah. Stiff. So... We
1: had the pleasure of working... Rachi, by the way, on awesome, one of my favorite dudes to just have a
2: conversation with. He is a very, very smart guy and I would never, ever think to say anything negative about him in any way. <laughs> That's a smart uh, move. I yeah. think his wife, I love his wife. She's wonderful. I've never met her, but I think she's truly a wonderful woman who's done a lot
1: of nice things. Yeah, he's ah, a he's a good dude. A um, couple other quick stories we'll tell later on down the road as we unravel these things. The ring breaking at Rooter <clears throat> at Rooter's in Waukesha—that was an interesting night. Wasn't there? Um, I want to talk for a minute, so.
2: I'm not going to take anything away from you guys because at its peak, Rebels was drawing like
0: probably three, 400 people. For some shows. Not every our show.
1: average show was uh,
0: clear, easily 100. You guys 100 were, paid. You guys are well traveled too. You're not talking about being in the same spot every time. No. You're talking about going to multiple different places. Fond du Lac,
1: Whitewater, the Armory, in Whitewater. Yep. We did a few shows there. The scene. Yeah. But I want to talk about the
2: last two shows for Rebels because oh. those were the ones. That we happened over here have been involved on because it, we had started our training with Brian at that point. Not
1: counting the reunion show. right?
2: Not counting the reunion show. Okay. The the two prior to that. Um, so we're going to talk about the Agape Center uh-huh. and the uh, the memory I have of the Agape Center <clears throat> was leaving the show <clears throat> and the Agape Center is here in Milwaukee. It's in the basically the central area of Milwaukee. If I'm
0: yeah, thinking, right?
2: it's in the center. It's on yeah. Sherman. So, right? Sherman. the I thought it was Locust, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, sure. It's in it's in the middle of basically housing <clears throat> projects. Yeah. So, the show happened. We were, well, you guys were worried about turnout, right? Yeah. yeah. So, rightfully so, because <laughs> of the, the timing of the show where it placed on the calendar. So, so I remember walking out in full gear with a couple other wrestlers in full gear walking around the neighborhood on a summer day and talking to people and going hey there's a wrestling show down here at the down here at the community center it's, you know 10 dollars it's pretty cool you know kids are you know whatever and no matter who we asked every single time there was one response which was it free that was the response every single time
1: it free It was not. It was not. (laughs) Brian and I actually, like, two weeks prior, walked, probably a mistake because of, you know, I was wearing, like, a dress shirt and pants, and I was knocking on doors to hand out flyers, and I was wondering why nobody would answer, and that's probably why. And then Tanner Paul... The, the final official... Well, don't forget
2: about the outdoor show in Windlake. You were on there I was on that one, too. Yeah. That one was... Uh, oh, that mosquito show. <laughs> yeah. The short-lived <laughs> security guard gimmick that I did yeah. for TC. Um, that guy's just pretending to be Chris Farley. No, I'm just fat and white. All right? So I'm not... That's just the way it is. Um, but Tanner Paul was two stories. So Tanner Paul, number one, was I was with Amber Rose as my manager... Mm-hmm. And the big idea that I was pitched Did you by, ever
1: find out if the curtains matched the drapes? I did not. I've been trying to figure uh, it out. If
2: somebody can ask
1: Jared Jacks
2: and let me know. <laughs> um, but at Tanner Paul, I was stuck with Amber Rose, and like a week before they went, we're going to make you a gangster from
3: the 30s, okay? <clears throat> you're gonna, This is your gimmick, alright? Hey Scott, <laughs> why was Lane suddenly a gangster from the 30s? Is there any truth to the rumor it's because Amber bought a
1: new hat? Yes, yes, yes.
2: What kind of hat was it?
1: (laughs) It was... I, I don't know the name of the hat, the gangster. The, fedora. Fedora. It was It was a fedora ish, yeah. Oh. And she had the pinstripe jacket to go with it.
0: I think it was a vest. Maybe. And you guys were like, this should cost Lane money.
2: <laughs> You're going to be a gangster from the 30s. Well, I was new in my career. I'd already turned down being a
3: pirate by that point. Hey, uh. I remember the pirate. Hey, you could have been Sunny Beach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Scott. Yeah. What was your idea for Cuba?
1: Okay. Now, this, had, this was a money gimmick if he would have played along.
3: It wasn't, but go ahead. <laughs> it
1: was. I thought Kuba would be great as kind of a, a, an Australian kangaroo Kuba. Yeah. I had a name for him. It was Snatch Vanderhall. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I wanted him to come to the ring with a boomerang and talk with an Australian accent. Yeah. Everybody loves Aussies. And I thought it would have been a good babyface gimmick. I remember were
0: you saying I see dollar signs, and I remember wondering if Australians use dollars. And well, my idea was he'd have a song like
2: Al Snow. What does everybody want? Head. Except they would just say his name. What does everybody want? Snatch. You know. <laughs> and he would be Australian. He'd be and Snatch okay. Vanderhall.
0: Okay. Draw out little stuff. What would he? What would he hold up? Like Can a Luke? wall? Like a wallaby? <laughs> Can I tell my embarrassing story from Rebels? Yeah. The first time I was supposed to work for Rebels of Wrestling, somebody, it was either Scott or Brian, talked me into <coughs> cutting a promo that you guys were airing on public access. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to cut the promo uh, with the best black scent that I had. That was probably a Brian idea. Yeah, because and you were pretty fly for a white guy, right? I was running the... i was Yep, I had the do-rag and the basketball jersey, and I was doing that gimmick. <coughs> and then... Uh, I remember cutting the promo over and over and, and I think it was Brian who pulled me off to the side he's like, hey look, like you're screaming into the mic and you need to not do that. We're trying to record this for TV so you can't be doing that. What I want you to do is I want you to try to talk like you're from the streets. I want you to get into that character and if anybody's ever uh, uh, seen that movie which I can't remember right now. now most want. Thank you. Absolutely terrible. It was very similar to that yeah, except yeah. way worse. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a good time. And then I ended up not even working Justin Dredd. I ended up working TC or Lane. I think what you should have done for that promo was say, flip the switch. Oh, my God. (laughs) I remember sitting in Brian's living room, and it was airing, and uh, Brian had some company over. And they watched it, and they were like, "What, what was that? What did I just watch? And they're like, ah, ha, ah, ah, ha, it's pretty funny we got him to do this bit. And he's like, well, they're definitely going to hate him. I know that. <laughs> well, that was, like, oh, that, that was the plan is make you the heel. And yep. then
2: we went to Tanner Paul where I showed about 50 people your penis.
0: That's right. Yep. We did a spot where you pulled my jersey up over my head. Yep. You pulled my shorts down around my ankles. You and gave then, me an atomic drop and a reverse atomic drop, and I sold it like death. And amidst all of my flopping around, I believe my junk popped out. Which is nice. I saw a lot of friends from high school there. <laughs> Here's another moment that I really love. We'll talk about
1: it more in depth as we roll on later in other episodes. But the, the double ladder match in Whitewater.
2: Double ladder match, yeah. So that yep.
1: was fun. That was so a lot of fun.
2: Before we move on, and we might be able just to take, I don't know how long this is going to take for you,
3: but let's talk about how you were booked in Whitewater.
1: Oh, come on.
3: All right, so I have to correct you. It wasn't Whitewater. It was the Boys and Girls Club over here off the Are beach. you sure? I am 100% sure. Because
1: I thought it was Whitewater because that was his hometown. 100% sure. Okay.
3: It had nothing to do with Whitewater. It had everything to do with the fact that it was his last show. But it was a dark match. It was not
1: a dark it match. It was a dark match. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so,
2: everybody, just so you know, interesting fact about dark matches. You can clap. If you want to. You don't have to.
3: Thanks, <laughs> Meathead. Uh, Alright, so anyway, I show up for the show, and I'm told I'm working with Johnny Barracuda. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know Johnny Barracuda, which is everybody in the world... he was trained by Eddie Shark. I want you to picture a bag of milk from Quick Trip <laughs> with legs and a grapefruit for a head. Who were you working?
1: And frosted tips. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right.
3: Frosted yeah. Tips. Who was I working? <laughs> right. All right. Anyway, uh, I'm told. Hey, you know, it's his last day in the company. Dark match. Yeah. Uh, how about we send him out on a high note, so he has a fond memory. So it's a tag match. It's myself and Redneck Rick against Johnny Barracuda and Cirrus. Yeah. Of uh, what were they called? Big Fire. Big fire. Yeah. And uh, not only... See, it wasn't, wasn't good enough for Johnny Barracuda to go over on me on his way out of the company, but he had the fucking sack on him to come up to me and say, Hey, man, would it be all right if I slammed you today, too?
1: Well, see, that ain't booked that part of it.
3: And it was a dark match. So, yeah. <laughs> Basically, my good friend Scott... Drew me down for Johnny Barky Noodle to pin and embarrass in front of eight
1: kids. (laughs) In a a dark match. Dude, listen. The
3: whole show was a dark
1: match. By the way, that that was the same match where Jerry came out with sock tits. It's
3: it's also, hang on. What? Very (laughs) important. It's also the same show where Brian punched Scott in the neck and gave him diabetes. He gave me
1: diabetes. He hit me so hard in the neck, my body went numb, and shortly thereafter, like a week later, I found out I had diabetes. From what I hear, he just can't see, <laughs> and that's the problem. He's oh, not he! Thin. Oh my he God! He has no depth uh, perception. He, I swear, he hit me in the side of my neck, and my body went numb. <laughs> and it shattered your
3: pancreas. Yeah,
1: and it shattered my <laughs> pancreas. One time
2: when we were tra- when he was training us, he said, "You guys are doing it wrong. You're moving the wrong way." We turned around. He was facing the other way, looking at bushes in the breeze. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, so, so, um, you remember sock tits, right?
3: Uh, maybe.
1: Okay, so, so one of the wrestlers on our, on, in our group had, was dating a girl who exposed herself to people at a bar once, and it looked oh, like it looked yeah. like she had two socks with a roll of quarters in yeah. them. Yeah. Like, like
2: an egg on yeah. a nail.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was not have, good. If
1: you've ever seen There's Something About Mary,
3: ding, ding, ding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> two quick Armani stories, of, and then we can move on to another topic. The two of my favorites were when he refused to get in the ring for a six man tag because Harley Hellcat was too sweaty. Yeah, remember that? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he went in there, locked up with him, slid off because <laughs> he was swiggled. How, how am I supposed to wrestle him? He sweat like a pig and he left the <laughs> ring. Um, and the time where Jerry. Uh, was involved in a tag match with the where the cold tag happened. Oh. So Armani was ringside <laughs> with a team called Models Inc. Right? Over heels. Yes, over heels. If, if you
3: need that, explain. So
1: we're, do, we're taping for TV and we're trying to hurry the match along and get to the, take it home, so to speak. Because we were almost out of TV time. But we still had a minute and a half. Unfortunately, the referee, who was trying to tell the wrestlers to take it home, missed represented himself and said he only had 30 seconds left. So the baby face is building for a hot tag. He tags in. We still have a minute and a half, but the, he, one of the guys on the heel team didn't realize it, kicks the guy who comes in for the hot tag, DDTs him and pins him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was always referred to at that point as the cold tag. And as soon as Armani saw him, cut him off, he turned around and just walked to the locker room and left his team behind.
0: <laughs> so that, those are my two favorite
1: Armani stories from, from
0: All right. the No, Now, Vic, I know you talked about getting body slammed by somebody who probably shouldn't have body slammed you. Yeah. Uh, it made me curious, and I thought it would be a good topic. How did you get out of wrestling and get into managing? What, what happened with you there? My back. My back had enough, man. One day I woke up in September.
3: I remember it was September because it was the worst pain I was ever in. I woke up, I got out of bed, and I couldn't stand up straight.
0: Nothing so. happened? There wasn't like a particular...
3: Nope. What about your knees? Anything ever happened to your... My knees are great. How's yours? <laughs> That's a shout out to my son, Brett, who wanted us to ask about laying shitty
0: knees. It's in the hat. Okay. I, I pointed out that your son also has a shitty knee. Well, wait yes. a minute. Are you, are
1: you talking about the knees from american blazer yeah i was oh, about to compliment him on his
2: sweater uh, but yeah. so okay. let's,
3: let's tell that story all right uh once again my good friend scott <laughs> minute, booking was, me with the cream this of the was crop a
1: battle royale
3: the creep no this was a singles match are you sure yeah i know what you're thinking of and that was a different time
1: oh that was when somebody decided to suplex someone in the middle of a battle royale. it was
3: uh it was otis marcus mussolini yeah. he did a press slam yeah. And threw the guy down without looking and he hit me in the knee and I got picked. I grabbed somebody and I said I gotta get out of here and as he's helping me up male Preston, oh, male Preston climbs to the middle rope and he says a lot better than female Preston. he says hey hold him for a second and I turned to him and I said fuck you don't touch me <laughs> <Male Preston. laughs> but the American uh. Blazer thing was a cross body, and when he jumped, I want you to picture a under-inflated
0: balloon, because he got no height and hit me square in the knees. <laughs> cross body. Oh, yikes. Yeah, that was bad. So while your story about no longer wrestling sucks, because there's no actual injury that caused it, can you tell me a little bit about how difficult it was to make the decision to stop wrestling and get into managing? Were you comfortable getting into managing? I mean... It's hard to be around the business when you know you want to wrestle and you can't do it. So, well, did anybody try to dissuade you from managing because you're
2: six foot seven
0: and five hundred pounds?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm six three and <laughs> not five hundred pounds. Thank well, you. There's no proof of that. Uh, which part?
0: The five hundred pounds. Okay.
3: Uh, anyway, it wasn't hard to make the decision to stop wrestling because mm. my back made it for me. It just wasn't going to happen.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, by the way, is Mitch Blake in that hat?
3: I don't know. Okay. He will be. How um, long were you out? 2000... and I think I had my last match in 2003. And when did you have your first? 99. March of 99. So is that... Are you counting the matches for SSW in that? I am not. I'm not counting... My back was already fucked at that point. Yeah, you just did... Right. Run. I yeah. remember you... I filled in one match.
0: The Dawn Almost Divorced Me Bomb. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. There were a couple of those. <laughs> well, you were also involved in my retirement. match. Well,
3: I've done a handful of matches since 2003 because I've seen a marked improvement in my back. But it's not anything I'm going to be doing on a regular basis.
1: The, my retirement match consisted of Lane and Vic against me and Angel Armani. Do you, do you miss it? Do
3: you wish that you could still work consistently? That's a tough question. I'm a pretty fat old man right now, and I don't think I could do it. But at the same time, I don't feel like if I hurt my back that I'm this fat because I spent like a year and a half just laying on a couch because I couldn't do anything.
0: How long between when you got hurt and when you started managing?
3: Oh, man. <clears throat> well, I, I know I did a one-off for rebels at Mexican Fiesta, uh, that following summer in 2004.
0: That was the one where you guys were throwing the tortillas.
3: No, I wrestled that show.
0: Yeah, that was. Like I wrestled year that before, show, right?
3: That a was year a year or two before. Yeah. Um, I know that Eddie and TC were on that show. I remember that, um, but not much else. I can't even tell you who I managed. I know I did a choke slam to him at the end. I can't even tell you who it was. Is it Alvato? I doubt it. Yeah, Alvato was always main event on those shows.
1: Yeah, that makes sense,
3: right? Do you feel your value is better as a worker or a manager? Uh I think much like Scott, who feels he's a better ring announcer than he was a wrestler, I'm a much better manager than I ever was a wrestler.
0: That's true. And I'm a better fan than I am in the business. <laughs> I was like, I know we're friends and stuff, so maybe I'm a little biased, but I would say that I'd put you right up there with the best managers in the state. I think that you've earned that. I think that that's shown up at every show you've ever been to. You,
1: you know what makes you the best, the best manager around is there's some other that are decent, right? But they always, no matter what, even when they try not to, they end up taking away heat from the guys they're managing because they pop at the wrong moments, they get involved, they run around the ring like uh, you know, like Jimmy Hart used to, but at the wrong times. Yep. I like the fact that you remind me a lot of a little bit more animated version of J.J. J. Dillon. You know your spot, you know where you're supposed to be, you're not making it about you, but when you do get involved, everybody knows. And that's what's important. That
3: advice actually came from Angel Armani because I was, in my early managerial days, taking away from the matches, and inadvertently. I didn't realize it. I wasn't trying to get myself over. I was just trying to get the crowd to stay in the match. Right. Um, But he told me, you know, less is more, back it down. I went back and watched some things that I had done, and he wasn't wrong. Right. He wasn't wrong.
0: So real quickly, if we could, if we could just go around. I mean, Scotty, you're retired now at this point. Vic, you're you're still managing, but you had reached a point where you had retired as well. Lane, you're who knows made of powder. Who knows what I am? And and my most of me is is hurt as well. If if we could just go around real quick. Would you do it all over over again? Okay, so
1: first and foremost, like from the beginning, like would I do this all over again? Yeah. I mean, well, would you get into wrestling? Would you go? Yeah, through? We're not yeah. talking about wrestling. Yeah. We're just talking about the yeah. podcast. And I'll tell you about yeah, and I'll tell you about that in a second. I will say this. I still feel like I had one match left in me, and I feel like some miscommunication robbed me of that match, and we can talk about that some other day. Of course i do it all over again. I, I, we talk about how things in your life change things. All right, so some of the best friends I've ever met I met because I decided to stroll over to this cable access studio and watch a bunch of yahoos wrestle for pastry. Um, And it led to me meeting all of you guys, and Brian, and Steve, and Angel Armani. Yep. People who are integral parts of my life. People who are my best friends. When would I have ever met you guys? When would I have met Angel Armani, other than when he was Colonel Blatnick giving the the Third Reich salutes at... at, 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 uh, at, uh, Columbus, Knights of Columbus. So, yeah, of course I would do it all over again. I would do some things different inside of it. Um, I would have, you know, there's some things I would have changed, some some matches I probably wouldn't have done. Um, But, no, I wouldn't change this.
3: I would have to agree. I would also do it all over again. But the second time, I definitely would be a fucking Dudley. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, you know...
2: I've wrestled for over, or been involved in wrestling or or some form of it, trained or untrained for over, you know, half my life at this point, so to me there's nothing else I could think of that I would even do, I I don't know, I don't, I'm I'm going nuts now with my knee and not being able to do stuff, so.
0: Yeah, as far as me, uh, I'm the only one that, so I don't regret the friends that I made along the way. Um, in fact, the, the gentleman I'm sitting around the, the table with right now, we got a trip coming up to Cleveland. We're going to go check out Brett Hundley, take on the, the Cleveland Browns.
3: We're going to see if we can get the Browns
0: that first <laughs> W this Oh, they year. will. Yeah. They'll get yeah, their first win yeah. Uh But, you know, we're, we, I don't regret the friends that I've made over the years whatsoever. I think that uh, I would definitely not replace them. But when I look at my neck and I look at my back and I look at my ability to... Play with my kids and my ability. Th- I wear a tie at work now. Ugh. The money's good, but the job sucks.
3: Are you telling so, me your <laughs> neck is so noodly that the weight of a tie hurts?
0: I'm telling you that I would have a job where I've worked for a living. Um, and that's something that. I, yes. You know, I, you. I was never a shirt and tie guy. <laughs> you can yeah. tell by my mouth. I was never a shirt and tie guy. I was a hard labor guy. My dad had worked hard his entire life. I had every intention of doing the same. And then I tore my labor at a job, and then I broke my neck at all three, and I busted my back in like two thousand ten. Um, so I definitely wish that I hadn't. It's a good gone match. Through. I watched people on Facebook. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I finished the match. Okay, it a, and it was a good match. I um, was saying it was a good. I almost killed Brian. It's not on tape. Um, but you know. I think that for me, I could do without the injuries and I could do without the pain. I'm I'm a young guy. I'm 36, and to be in pain like this all the time. Some of these people I see on Facebook that are just clumsy, and they have no business being in the business. Like they just remind me of me. Like I probably should not have. I didn't have the body size as small as I was. I'm five seven, and I was probably buck seventy when I was wrestling. To, I had to be a high flyer. I had to do the, the high, high risk moves. It was the only thing that I could really get away with until I started playing heel a little bit more later on. Um, but man, I wish I would have just not, not done it. I don't regret the friends, but I wish that I hadn't gone that route considering the amount of injuries that I've suffered. Over you course.
2: know what you should have gotten into? Krav Maga.
1: Krav
0: Maga is interesting.
1: So if you say okay, so like in my case, I could think of one match that if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have done. Sure. You know, right on Fourth of July about six years ago. In your case, is there maybe a, a move, a match that you could change, or do you say, yeah, I would have gotten into business. Maybe I would have been a manager, or maybe you know, maybe maybe a referee with like, his promo skills. <laughs> he hold,
0: is on, a <laughs> no, hold on, not managing nothing. Hold on a second. Um, you know. I'm told all the time that I'm not the wrestling fan that everybody else is. Sure. And I came into wrestling during the NWO era, and that was not the right time to start liking wrestling. Yeah, but certainly not. I don't watch wrestling now. Like, I can't remember the last show that I actually watched that wasn't a WrestleMania or a Royal Rumble. Um, I, I don't know, Scott. I don't, I don't know. It's not something that it was a huge passion of mine growing up. Everybody seems to have stories and going to shows as kids. I never did any of that stuff. Sure. So maybe it was just a little bit different for me.
1: I can say this in about 21, 22 years now, if you count wrestling on the risers, right? 22 years, I can, which is almost half my life, I can say that some of the two things. Some of the most fun I've ever had was because of this business and people I met. Some of the best people I ever met came in this business, but also some of the worst. So... I think that's it. We've exhausted all of our time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we only got through how many this time? Two? Two. Two? Yep. Wow. We're gonna be we're we're gonna be doing this for about twenty years. So yep. or until that shitty knee is fixed. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate everybody. Episode two, the Ross Family Matters Podcast.
3: With Jim.
1: <laughs> Hot uh, Scott. Fuck you, I almost made it. Almost. Hit almost. Ross. Jack's Babe. Krav Maga! Prodigy. We'll see you next time. It, it'll be soon. We'll be dropping Ooh. another one.